that it, you will realize as you climb to the top of the ladder that you had the ladder leaned against the wrong wall. And what you ultimately long for is not success, but significance. So rather than getting to the top of the ladder, then to realize that, and then to climb back down and have your tail between your legs and then move the ladder, Welcome everyone to Work 2.0 podcast. Today we have with us a very inspiring figure and we'll have, guys, we are on for a great treat. So we have with us John O'Leary and a brief bio. So president, speaker and author of John O'Leary, Live Inspired. John is an inspirational speaker who survived a near fatal fire at the age of nine and now runs a successful business inspiring people all around the world. As an internationally acclaimed speaker, best-selling author, and renowned podcast host, John helps hundreds of thousands of people to live inspired each year, sharing his insights, inspiring messages with emotional storytelling, unexpected humor. And in this uh, session, we will also talk about his upcoming book, uh, In Awe. And with that, John, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, what a beautiful introduction, and it is really an honor to be on your show. So thank you for uh, inviting me on. So first, firstly, thank you so much for uh, for spreading joy and inspiration to a lot of people around uh, around the world. We need folks like you, and thank you to everyone uh, like you who are just stepping up and and sort of bringing their personal story, so we can on all we can all latch on to this thing. Okay, there is still hope and and joy around the world for us to latch on to. So I do appreciate that. So, you know, in my very first book, I'm glad you bring that up. When I got the book back, there was a picture of me on the cover of it. And I said to the publisher, did you guys read the book? Be because the book itself, the first book was called On Fire. The next one's called In Awe. But the books are not about me. It's about all the people who showed up with all this courage, all this compassion, all this, all this remarkable resiliency into a little boy's life that had no reason for hope, that had no ability to take the next step forward, that had no future whatsoever. The things they did, what they taught me, and ultimately what it means for the rest of us. So if I am revealing to you a little bit of joy in this podcast or a little bit of hope, it's only because I'm reflecting what has been given to me tenfold. That's beautifully said. And so let's let's walk, walk through your journey. Uh, walk us through... Um, your early days and and what brought this 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 fatality and how how do you endure it and, and walk us through that journey yeah sure so one of the most important things that i think for your audience to recognize is when i was 27 years old i never told anybody the answer to the question that you're asking me right now so even up until the age of 27 i've never told anybody what happened to me as a kid and that's a stunning transformation as you're about to hear because that's what i do professionally these days it's all i do so what, what happened to me as a kid? This, this is the story. At age nine, I was burned in a house fire on 100% of my body. 87% of those burns were third degree. And that is, whether it's 2020 or 1987 when it happened to me, this is a death sentence. And so I come into this hospital room. I'm dying. The story is my mom and dad show up. They show up with amazing grace and, and courage and, and compassion and love. But they also are bold. They, they tell me that if, if I want to live, I have to choose this that I have to choose the next step forward along the journey. And it was a choice that we made collectively every step along the way for five and a half months. I went through dozens of surgeries. I lost my fingers to the amputation, years of therapy that followed. And this little boy with no chance at coming out of the hospital eventually comes home. I uh, eventually returned to a semblance of normalcy and I never looked back. And so that my goal as a kid, and this might touch some of your listeners right where they are, but my goal was to be ordinary. I didn't want to be extraordinary. I didn't want to run a business. I didn't want to step into work 2.0. I barely could handle life 1.0, let alone the next step in it. I just wanted to fit in. So that, that was the great desire of my heart and of my life. And, uh, and then over time, and you can ask me as many questions as you'd like around it, I began to embrace the story and, and then be able to not only embrace it at home, where is, it's always where it starts, but also to embrace it into a marketplace that I think is longing for hope and joy. Interesting. Wow. So, so walk us through that kid who has gone through this 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 terrible testing time. What went to your mind? What brought you? What brought you to sanity? Saying, okay, I can maybe maybe fight this thing. And and walk us through that 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 sort of great transformation um, in, awesome. in in your in, in your personality. Yeah. 
So part of it is just the blessing of being born somewhat optimistic. So I'm naturally a curious, optimistic kid, and you can't really change that DNA. I think you can improve it or you can uh, lose a little bit of that optimism, but I, I naturally believed that tomorrow was gonna be better than today. That, that's a wonderful start, starting point. Secondly, I had phenomenal parents and support structure around me. You, you can't necessarily choose that. I was just fortunate to have two amazing leaders that guided me forward along this journey. Third, the medical staff, the physician, the nurses, the custodial help, the food services, the therapists, the chaplains, the social workers, this entire network that play together as one. And I think during COVID-19, we've recognized their, the beauty of our healthcare professionals. But man, I recognized this when I was nine years old. They, they saved my life. And yet they could not have done it on their own. There was a team of people around our community here in St. Louis, Missouri, around the United States and around the world. Pope John Paul II was writing letters to us saying he was praying for us. Trees were being planted in Israel. This was like a global effort before Carrying Bridge was invented of people wanting this family to know they were not alone. And I think that idea of belonging and of togetherness, whether you're in a burn center or you're hanging on for dear life today in 2020 because life is hard, to recognize that you're not alone is is really critical. And maybe the final piece, along with faith, faith for me and my family was and remains very important. But in addition to that, it's this desire to have something to reach toward. And so as a little boy, the, the very first goal I had was getting the heck out of this hospital bed. I'm not going to stay here long, man. I had no idea. At first, it would take five and a half months, but I knew I was going home. And then we also had this volunteer, he was a radio announcer named Jack Buck, and he would come by every single day and he would say, hey kid, when you get out of here, we're gonna celebrate you at Bush Stadium. That's where the St. Louis Cardinals play. We'll call it John O'Leary Day at the ballpark, but you gotta get out of here, you gotta get well, and then I'm picking you up and we're going downtown. And Vishal, when you hear this kind of encouragement as a child, dude, you buy in. You, you buy in. So you said on the very front side of our conversation, John, thank you for sharing your joy and your optimism for the future. And yes, I, amen, I will share that because I have received that. I've received it from a whole global community of people who have invested in me. Wow, that's, that, that's, that's mind-numbing. So, um, so when, when, when you recovered from that, um, you are different. You were different then. And then when you are at an age where a lot of curiosities are creeping, uh, so, uh, sort of siding in all of us, we want to fit yes. in. We want to fit in. And the urge to fit in sort of is excruciatingly high. What are some of some of your, like, tell, walk us through that journey. How do you, how do you bring out the inner beauty in you and, and sort of help yourself succeed through this? Mm. It's such a good question because what, what I know now and I did not know probably until my mid-30s, was the question you were asking a burn survivor is one that every single one of your listeners struggles with every day. So you think because she's beautiful or he's handsome or he's fit or they're successful that they got it put together internally. And what I have learned, the deeper I go down the path with business leaders and executives and the C-suite and everybody else, is how broken and how longing and how not quite enough most of us feel. And if they do feel like they're enough, frequently it's out of ego. And that's a whole nother issue we got to handle, man. So at age nine, when I came home from the hospital, one of the greatest gifts my mother gave me, uh, the day after I'm home, she had the piano teacher come by our house. I was in a wheelchair. I was on a morphine drip. My, my, my fellow siblings were already in school. And this piano teacher's in our house. I have no fingers, as you can see. I have no chance to do anything again in my life. There's no reason for real, like, reaching forward. How can I? It's impossible. And all of a sudden, I find myself at home in a wheelchair taking piano class. And what I remember the most about that day is, first, I remember how much I hated my mom. Like, I just hated my mom. I'm nine years old. I'm never going to play the piano. I hated it anyway when I did have fingers. Now I've got no fingers, and I hate my mom. And the other thing I remember thinking is, at least that's over with. I'll never have to do that again. And then the following Tuesday, the doorbell rang, and the piano teacher came back. And she came back again the following Tuesday for five years. So what you need to recognize, you're on a Skype call right now with a guy who's got no fingers but can jam Coldplay mm. and loves it. It relaxes me. It also helps me create new ideas in my business or my spiritual life or with my family. I love playing the piano now. But the story is not really about music. It's about overcoming the things that are right in front of you. It's learning to accept what you have 
and to refuse making excuses about it going forward. Man, that, that is a profound gift that my mother gave me that I'm, the ROI continues to be paid back into my life. And I'm humbled by that. Uh, a second story is when I was uh, meeting someone for the very first time, not long after being burned, and I went to stick out my right hand. And my hand's got no fingers. And this guy reached for mine. He saw what was going on. And this older guy, and he, he was really old. He's probably like 30, okay? He then pulls back from this nine-year-old, and he walked away from me. And I remember kind of walking, shoulders bent, head down, starting to tear up. And my mom says, John, you are better than that guy. Next time you stick out your right hand, you stick out your left too, and you pull him in. You pull him in. You make him know that you accept yourself, and he's got to accept you too. And for sure, that, that, that's how I, I have been shaking hands, both hands. And then I usually pull you in, whether you like it or not, before COVID-19 for the bro hug, man. And we're going to do life together. I find as soon as you're over your darn self, others get over you as well pretty quickly. So that, that's a second piece. And then the third and maybe final, although we could keep going deep down, down this path, is about 11 years ago, I was at home shaving. My shirt was off. I have thick scars all over my chest and stomach. And my oldest son, was his name is Jack. He's three. He's fake shaving next to me. He's got the, the cover on. And uh, he stops shaving for a moment. He starts tracking one of my scars with his index finger. And then Jack says, hey, you know, with his little boy voice, dad, your tummy is red, it's bumpy, and it is ridgy. <laughs> so I'm like, great, I got to explain myself now to my son. I, I'm not even safe in my own home. And then he says, words I'll never forget, and daddy, I love it. I just love your red, bumpy, ridgy tummy. And it, and it reminds me so many things. One is how kids can see life mm. so differently and so much better than you and I frequently see it. We see skin tone. We see racism. We see sexism. We see success. And we, we see all this stuff. Ultimately, that doesn't matter. We see the garbage. Kids see the stuff, the, the, the beauty, man. They, they see what's actually there. And so that's a cool lesson. But the other was my ego was telling me that I had to get ready to answer his question mm. with a question he did not even have. Yeah, he, like all he wanted to do was meet me with love. And I, I think, man, that's, that is ultimately how we are supposed to first look in the mirror, start there, but then secondly, step into the marketplace. It, it is one of the great differentiators of, of your life and of your business. So as you step into work 2.0, one way to really elevate 2.0 is to do it with love. It, it will set you apart, man. We'll be back after a short break. This part of the podcast is sponsored by Dowdwood AI world's first AI-powered platform to build enterprise success network. Learn more at Tower.ai. Let's go back. Interesting. And, and thank, you for, thank you for sharing that. That's, that's a beautiful set of stories. Um, and, and I think, uh, so when you, when you, you have been helping people all, all around the world, family all around the world, and you must, you must have met a lot of stories that somehow resonates with yours. Definitely pains are different and anxieties are different and agonies are different, but somehow they all are threaded to the same anxiety that, hey, how can I fit in and how can I grow and all that? So what are some of the things that you observe that you could share that our listeners and viewers could be seeing and facing, but not sharing? So what can, what so can, you, what can you share about those? So there's a writer I really enjoy and he's a spiritual writer. His name is Henry Nowen and Henry is spelled with, a, with an I. So Henry writes about his life in such a manner where you almost feel embarrassed for him that he would share so deeply with you. And that's as you're getting ready to turn the page quickly to see what he says next. And then he wrote in one of his books, and I, I may get this quote a little bit wrong, but he says, what is most personal is most universal. What is most personal is most universal. So what I have found is the more I share deeply about waking up without fingers, and looking up at my dad, furious that he would allow them to amputate my fingers. Something like, wow, no one's ever had a story like that. It's really unusual. The more you can look back at me and say, John, mine's a little different, but, but mine is when my father walked out of my mom. Mine is going through this bankruptcy when, when uh, our family had everything, and then we lost everything. Mine was having a job that I loved in March, and then COVID-19 shows up, and it has destroyed everything I built. So although it seems completely different, completely different, the more we can be real about our life experience, the more others can be real about theirs, and the more we can then synergize on what we can do together going forward. So I've just been amazed because you got to realize you're talking to a guy who is, believe it or not, humble, introverted, and shy. 
and I'm a homebody. And so I started sharing this story in my own backyard of three Girl Scouts, three third graders. And then it kept going and on and on from there. And at first I was thinking, I bet once I leave St. Louis, it won't work. I bet when I leave the Midwest, they, they won't connect. I bet when uh, I leave the West Coast, because the East Coast will never buy in. I bet when I leave this country, they'll never get it in Canada or Mexico or Dubai or anywhere else around the world. And yet the story is one of, of human tragedy, of redemption, of overcoming, and of togetherness. And there's nothing new under the sun. And so this turns people on, whether they are hanging out in my own backyard or 5,000 miles in a very different part of the world with a very different community, different religions, different political affiliations. And yet the story of life is one that binds us all together. Interesting. That's beautifully put. Um, so uh, in, in your observation, when, when talking to all these communities around, what are some of the things that you could share that they are getting it wrong about, uh, say, this transformation or they are thinking wrong or basically you see that, okay, that's the problem that you have to fix first. Are, like, are there anything that just stands out when you're, when you're talking to people around their struggles and their journey? What are some of the common, common facets that they are, they are doing it wrong? Well, they got, from an individual level, it's the belief that they can do more and more and more, less and less and less. And then the way they try to do that is first by working more and secondly by multitasking while tasking while working more. What all research says around multitasking is it is far more effective to smoke marijuana and drink a little bit while you work. It's far, far more effective to sleep a couple hours a night than it is to multitask. And so we think we're being very effective by having a conversation with you, by answering my wife's email to her right now, and by having a call over here on the side. And yet we're doing none of it well. So that's true not only in the moment, but what happens in our mind is this. When I'm at work, I'm not really at work because I'm thinking about home. I'm thinking about my mom and dad. I haven't seen them in a couple of weeks. I'm thinking about my health and my faith life. And, oh, I, I don't think I saved last month. And I'm upside down in my debt service. So we're thinking about life when we're at work. And then when we get home, we're not thinking about the little ones in front of us or our partner or our parents. We're thinking about work because we weren't effective when we're at work. And so if I can leave your audience with a couple, I think, important takeaways, it is when you are at work, work. Like work like a dog. And then when you come home, play like a puppy. Find a spot where your phone and laptop can go and do not interact with them. It will free you to be far more engaged and effective and in flow when you are at work. You'll do things in an hour you normally could not do in several hours when you just are that laser focused. And then you will be refreshed when you return to work the following day because you'll have lived your life. You'll have walked in nature. You'll have done so barefoot. You'll have seen the stars overhead again. You'll have watched the sunrise with a child on your lap. You'll done the good stuff of life so that when you do work, you can do it, do it even more effectively. Interesting. And, and what's your take in, in the times today? So we are in the middle of pandemic um, outbreak. We are all sort of being tested through, through our, uh, and many of us are struggling financially. There's a, there's a strong urge to be out getting back to the life because my family is hurting. And I, somehow I have this anxiety of uh, taking care of my family. Yes. And and then there is there's a there's a there's a counter argument of hey let's let's pitch in if you want to solve everything together how like what's what's your take from 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 whatever is happening now that you could share with us so when you say struggling financially I would say me too my primary business model is one around speaking we we have books we have podcasts we do sponsorships affiliate programs we got a, a pretty broad business. But the lion's share of our revenue comes from professional speaking in front of large audiences around the world. And if you think the cruise lines are in trouble, you're right. But if you think the motivational speaking industry for live events is, is in trouble, you're right. So we can talk about that in the next question, but how do you pivot forward? Because I think what an awesome opportunity. So we'll, we'll come back to that. But he, here, here's what I'd like to share with you around your question right now around where we are. I had lunch with my grandfather, who was one of my heroes in my life, another prince of a man. Um, we had lunch together on September 17th, 2001. It was the first day the stock market was open again after 9-11, September 11th. And as we're sitting down for, for pasta, my grandfather shares that he just made two large investments in American Airlines and in Boeing. And anyone with any insight at all into market conditions would say, John, the two stocks that will take the biggest beating when the markets open up are airplane manufacturing, because no one's going to fly anymore, mm. and specific airlines, in particular those that flew into buildings. No one's going to do this anymore. And Grandpa's making a bet in these businesses. So I asked Grandpa some questions around that. And rather than give me answers, he finally said, John, do you know why they call us the greatest generation? And I said, no, tell, tell me, Grandpa. 
He said it wasn't because it was not because we survived the depression. He said, I, I think most people try to survive difficult times. It was not because we went off and we fought in World War II. I think most people fight against things that are wrong. It was not because we were the most productive, successful society in the history of the world when we returned from war. That's not why we're the greatest generation. <laughs> he took a sip of his lemonade and he said, we are the greatest generation because we never forgot the lessons learned along the way. That sentence has really always stuck with me. We never forgot the lessons that we learned along the way through a great depression. Agony, we don't know. Through a world war, agony I've never experienced. Through building up a society as a collection of great people doing the best they can together. I've never fully experienced this. And yet he says the credit to his success, the reason why they are truly great is because they never forgot where they came from. So here's my advice to us, and I'm part of the us who are struggling today. This too shall pass. Markets will return. Employment will return. Portfolios, believe it or not, will return. Life will return to, some, to the old normal. That's fine and dandy, but I think the better play is this. Let us not return exactly the way that we entered into it. Let, let us not return to work in August, September, whenever we finally get to go back to life as it once was, in the exact same way we finished up February. I think we can go into it again, recognizing what matters, how we were more present for those around us in our lives, how we did work differently and maybe even more effectively, how we missed zero family dinners, how we were able to be more active in the, uh, with the community, how we saw the environment regain its health again. I mean, there, there were some really beautiful things that grew out of this thing in real time, how we celebrated our healthcare professionals, our EMT, our firefighters, we're celebrating them right now. Let us not forget the experience of these days. Let us use them to make us even better in the days to come because those days are coming. And I, I'm not a Pollyanna, these are difficult days, mm. but let's consider journaling on, the, on what we're growing in during these difficult days because there's a lot here to, uh, to take forward with us. Interesting. And, and, and how do you pivot out of this? Uh, what, what's your, what's your uh, two cents on that? Say that one more time. How do we what? How, how, how do we pivot out of this? Like what, what would we do? We'll be back after a short break. This part of the podcast is sponsored by Tao.ai, world's first AI-powered platform to build enterprise success network. Learn more at Tao.ai. Let's go back. Well, that, it's, a, it's a long answer because it depends if you mean John O'Leary, the man, our business, our industries, our countries, uh, dealing with COVID-19. But I, I would say... I think what you're asking is as individuals, correct? Yeah, right. So the first is that my daily process is this, okay? It's, it's something I've been doing now for seven years. It's been very effective in staying grounded, but also staying highly effective and growth-minded. So every morning I wake up before anybody else, before kids, before my coworkers, before my neighbor and his barking dog, anybody else. I'm, I'm a first. I make either a, a big pot of coffee or a big pot of tea. I walk up on the screen porch and I sit there in the dark, okay? And then every morning, I don't know how it happens, I'm not that smart, but here it is. Every morning as I look east, there's this little baby glimmer of hope that eventually forms. And then as the sun continues to mount its approach across the horizon, I grab my leather-bound journal. I've got a nice expensive journal because I don't want to lose it. I want to remember it, and I want to hand it on to my kids as an heirloom. I grab that journal, and I ask myself one question every morning. Why me? Mm. And then I answer it. And sometimes it's why am I here today? Sometimes it's why am I grateful? Sometimes it's uh, what are the blessings that I have in my life that I'm so busy I may not be taking inventory of right now. Maybe it's a love letter that I'm going to write to a friend, a colleague, a spouse, a parent. Uh, but every day I start reflectively, prayerfully, meditatively looking east, hoping for the sunrise. And it's always happened. Unbelievable. Every single day, even if it's cloudy, we get a sunrise. So that, that's a cool way to start the day. Don't grab your phone. Don't grab your laptop. Don't freaking do not grab the newspaper. Don't do that. Okay. Because what comes into your mind eventually comes out. So be careful what you are selecting to opt into. The second thing I do, it's a part of my daily process, is I'm reminded of why I do the work I do. Mm. And the work I do is not just work 2.0, it's the work of being a dad, a husband, a son, a neighbor, a friend, an entrepreneur, a writer, all these jobs. Man, I got a lot of jobs. Why do I do the work I do? Work 2.0. And it, the way I've come up with this answer is by turning it into a statement, I choose to thrive because. Mm. So with COVID-19, with a cancer diagnosis, with burns, in the midst of a great crisis, whatever that is in your individual life or as a society, answer the question, who cares, with the statement, I 
choose to thrive because. And that's going to give you your ignition statement or your mission statement for life. And mine is this, but I, I beg all of your listeners to make their own. Mine is this. This is why I get up early and smile all day long and go to bed late. I choose to thrive because God demands it. My family deserves it. And the world is start for it. Let's go. So I choose to thrive even when I'm physically in pain or emotionally sometimes a little beat down, man. Or there's, we're dealing with some headwinds on the markets right now. I choose to thrive. Headwinds be damned. Because God demands it, my family deserves it, and the world is starved for it. Let's go. No more excuses, man. No more excuses. And then the third and final question, I do this one at the end of the day. It's next to my toothbrush. It's a different journal. I'm, a, I'm big into journaling. I think you track what matters to you. Mm. So some of us who work for organizations, you track miles, and you get your 54 and a half cents. Great. But if you're tracking miles or sales calls, why not track your life? Mm. Well, it's, it's the greatest asset you have. It's a renewable asset. You can make this thing even better. You know, you can make it better. Where else can you get compound interest for free, man? So grab your compound interest. Don't wait for the banks to come back around. Grab it yourself. And the way you grab compound interest is to ask the question, what more can I do? What more can I do to ensure tomorrow is even better than today? And it ensures that your life will not be stagnant, that your marriage, your health, your addiction, your spiritual journey, your finances, what you're doing in the community, a community, by the way, longing for you to engage in it, that you will not be stagnant. So what more can I do to ensure tomorrow will be even better than today? And I, I I just promise you, if you guys ask these three questions every day for a week, your life will be different and it will be richer than it is right now. Beautifully put. So, you 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 are a faith, uh, a man of faith. What's the role of faith in um, when we are going through these times? What's what what would you say? So the the beautiful thing about faith is it keeps you humble when you're killing it. So when you're on top of the mountain looking down at all the little people, your faith reminds you. And I don't care if your faith, your faith background. Your faith will remind you that you're not that big. You are not that good. God is. Universe is. Your Creator certainly is. You're not that big. You're, you're one of the kids, man. And in my faith background, I'm a, I'm a Christian believer. God doesn't have grandbabies, man. They're, they're all his babies. Whether they worship him or not, it doesn't really matter. God loves them all, all of us equally. And I think that's an important term, like completely equally. So I'm no better than anybody else when I'm on top of the world. But it also means when I'm at the bottom of it, as I sometimes feel like I am when I look in the mirror. And I see scars and I feel brokenness and I'm in physical pain or I'm struggling, struggling financially. It also means I'm no lesser than anybody else. We, we have the same royal blood coursing through all of our lives, all of our veins. The likelihood of us being here just strictly from a biological standpoint, I love this fact. If you do the math of your mother's eggs and your father's goods and you bring them together, the likelihood of you being here or me being here or one of your listeners being here. Just think about the likelihood of that DNA showing up that led to you or me. It's less than one in 400 trillion. So the mere mathematical fact that you are in this room or on this podcast is shocking. And for some reason, we're bored by life. Or we think that a a market correction is the end of it all. And what, what I'm always reminded by is how sacred life is, how big our God is, and the truth in my mind that the, the best days remain in front of us. Beautifully put. Uh, and thank you for sharing that. So now let's jump on the on the fun stuff. Uh, your book, In Awe. What is the inspiration behind this book? <laughs> so, you know, as a keynote speaker, I would go to these large organizations, organizations you would have heard of, and I would see people who looked bored by the work they do. They looked uh, as if they were enduring the mel- melancholy of their, their existence, just getting through uh, the drudgery of work and life. And then for me, for, like I love, I just love working when I'm on the road. So for me, for fun, I would also go into schools and I would just hang out with these kids, whether in high school, junior high or younger. And I would find the younger the group of kids were, the more engaged they were. When I would ask questions, in particular, first graders, every single hand goes up. When I ask them, how many of you are artists? Every hand goes up. How many of you think that life's going to be bigger and better tomorrow than it is today? Every hand goes up. And then I would come home. People on the flight would be kind of bored by the day they had. I would drop my kids off at school the following day, and I would watch my own kids skip into the school building. And I thought, what the heck? What are they so excited about? And what am I missing out on? When was the last time I skipped into anything in my life? I I might run from a dog, but outside of that, when was the last time I ran? They run everywhere. They're enthusiastic for life. They belong to one another and to themselves. 
And so I did a lot of research on what it is they have, why we lost it, and how we can return to it, and what that might do for our marketplace, for our businesses, and for our communities going forward. Wow. So I think one of the funny thing is, so when you're on a business side, we, we, we tend to fascinate over the idea of maturity, right? So business love to be mature, business love to be predictable, at least uh, from, from the growth standpoint. Yes. And, and, and when, when, when we talk about, say, the kid, so how do you, how do you grapple these, these two facts together? You are a businessman yourself, so how do you grapple these two facts together? We'll be back after a short break. This part of the podcast is sponsored by Tao.ai, world's first AI-powered platform to build enterprise success network. Learn more at Tao.ai. Let's go back. So I, I would encourage every one of you, if you think you have the answers, uh, step away from your, your arrogance. So as soon as you think you've got this figured out, you lose. One of our clients is Microsoft. And one of the cool things that one of their senior level executives shared with me one time was that, John, we used to be the smartest people in the room. Mm. Now we are smart enough to recognize we don't have all the answers, but we do have all the questions. Mm. That, that, I want you to hear that one more time at home or in the train, wherever you're t- listening to this call. We do not have all the answers, mm. but we do have all the questions. Mm. What they pride themselves on, this is Microsoft, is having a beginner's mindset. And a beginner's mindset, you may be a multi-billion dollar organization. You may be one of the largest, most successful businesses in the history of the world. And yet, if you want to be there tomorrow, because today is no indicator of what tomorrow might bring. If you want to be there tomorrow, you've got to step into this day with a beginner's mindset. So how do you do that? I mean, there's, you can unpack that to a degree. But one of the best ways to do that is to model the behaviors of children. Children raise their hands. Children engage. Children, gosh, for those of you who have kids or you know kids, they love asking questions. And after you answer the question, why is the sky blue? They follow up with another question. Why? Uh, it's time to go to bed. Why? Brush your teeth. Why? Tie your sh- Why? And we get sick of it. And we teach kids in school to stop asking why and get the questions. Either true or false. It's not in between. There is no third option, man. We've trained out of our children through parenting, mentorship, and sometimes education, this ability to be naturally inquisitive. And yet what a beginner's mindset recognizes is if you want to grow to a new level that has not yet been achieved, you can't ask the same questions that have always been asked before because you'll get the exact same results. You must come at, come at it from an entirely new perspective. And what better way to, than to ask open-ended questions like why, or who says, or what if, or why not? Wow. And, and I think fascinating. I think this is, this is absolutely, absolutely amazing. And I, I totally agree that the very idea of being inquisitive and being curious and sort of uh, understanding this maturity that you don't have all the answers and probably... Uh, so what are some of, the, some of your observations that... Um, uh, some of the misconceptions that businesses have about about this idea of because I think what I shared was this maturity the, the, the aspect of maturity we are latching on to it we want to be mature if, if you talk to a leader like you will see the, the the two big buckets one bucket is hey I don't have any answers I don't have all the answers but I have people around me who will probably help me navigate to one and then we yes. have the some some other side where it would say hey I'm the leader and I have the answer. You have to listen to me. So how do you, how, how do you convince the, the other side to, be, to embrace this idea? Like what are some of the strategies that you have shared would work uh, in, in mellowing down that maybe I need to be um, humble about it? So in one organization we partnered with, uh, they, they do a couple of cool things. One is they walk around the room. They have a really playful question to begin with. So maybe it's, uh, what was the coolest thing you learned this weekend? You know, of course, what's the one p- positive that you want to remember when COVID-19 is no longer with us? One positive. They go around the room. Then they run around the room one more time and they share a mission moment. It's one time during the course of the past seven days when they lived out the mission of that organization. They saw it in play. And it could be anything from, gosh, we had this difficult call, call come in and our administrative assistant, Deanna, just crushed it. She, mm-hmm. she handled it. They were yelling at her. I could hear the other person on the other side of the phone and she was just, she just handled it like a champ. She took care of their issue and they left with a smile on their face. So I just want to celebrate the work she did. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden, everybody's being patted out on the back, recognizing that the work they do matters. But then another thing that they do in this meeting is they have to end one of the statements with a question mark. Meaning, because uh, typically in a team meeting, we think we need to come with the answers, but end up with PowerPoint. And that's not actually the way to have a truly beginner's mind. It may not be to have a PowerPoint presentation yet. 
That may come. You may need Dropbox. You may not need all these other assets, but not yet. In the early stages, it's more like, like jazz. Like when you're, when you're writing music, man, it, you don't steamroll people with your idea, with your piano solo. You come up and you say, man, I got this chord in the back of my mind. And you start playing this chord. And then the percussionist is like, dude, I get it. And then all of a sudden the vocalist comes on and all of a sudden you, you, got, a, you got a song. You got a song. And so I think our job as leaders is to recognize we're more like an orchestra than, <laughs> than like a single show. Like you're not, the, you're not the single act here. We got to figure out how to do this, this work together. And in particular, I know you're big into work 2.0. It was important in the old days to do this. I think the best organizations did this. In the new days of where we currently are, those that aren't doing this are not going to be here tomorrow, period. We, we need to draw forth from the ladies and gentlemen, the friends that we work with, their very best. And the only way to get their very best is to get them to engage at every conversation, at every level. The answers frequently aren't found at the top. Frequently, they're found by the people who are closest to the issues at hand. Fair point. So, um, from from your perspective, uh, uh, what is what is the best best path forward for anyone? So, if if I'm reading this book in awe, and 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 to full disclosure, I have not yet read the book, uh, but I I just read the um, the surrounding uh, information about the book, and hope I'm looking forward to reading it very soon. So it better be on your bookshelf, man. When I see you again, I better see a big copy of In Awe. I I promise you, if I uh, if if I have the copy, it it will end up here. Uh, so oh, yes, but by, by all means. So yeah, so love to. Um, uh, so what I think so what this book is written for. Like when when you wrote this book, who is the ideal um, reader that you envision you wrote this for? You know, it's it's so odd is that I wrote it during a time of profound success. Unemployment was at historic highs. I'm sorry, lows. Markets were at historic highs. And seemingly the corporate culture that we all live in and celebrate had never, ever been stronger and better. And even with that, even with that, the pros, 1.5 million Americans that year, 2019, attempted suicide. So I wrote it during a period of profound wealth and success and despair and struggle and exhaustion around being busy having no clue whatsoever, how could anybody, that COVID-19 was on the horizon, that it was going to tear apart all that we had thought we had, the safety net around all of us, the busyness we all celebrated, the offices that we all clamored to, to return to. And it was a reminder for them of the power of being more like a child in the way you show up, which means uh, cycle through your days. When you're working, work. When you're playing, play. Take time for yourself. Our, our Jewish brothers and sisters would refer to this as Sabbath. Take Sabbath, like really chill out from time to time. Come home to your family. Realize again what is important. I, I shared it during a time in life where I, I felt a calling for get, to get people to think more creatively about the problems that we face. It's one of the reasons why we begin the chat, begin the book with a sense of wonder, because I wanted people to see both the opportunities and the challenges in front of us, not from a place of stagnation, like, well, we've already tried that, but from a place of profound openness that we can do even bigger and better things together. So it cannot be done individually, but it can in fact be done together. For the first time in the history of the United States, there were six consecutive years of people feeling worse about tomorrow than today. So we're now as a society in our country, more pessimistic about the future for six consecutive years. So this is not about one administration. It's now a societal issue. It's not a political issue. It's a societal issue, which is having all kinds of blowback in our school systems with our corporate society. Like it's having all kinds of negative effects. So sense number two is about expectancy. It's this idea of showing up into life with this belief that in fact, tomorrow will be better, but then showed up in such a manner where you live into that. So not a Pollyanna, like the, the, the book, The Secret, which is if you just shut your eyes and imagine it, it comes to pass. I'm not sure if that's true, but I do know this. If you start to think about a goal and you set specific goals around that goal and you start taking specific steps around that and you start eating differently and speaking differently and thinking differently and dreaming differently and journaling differently and connecting differently, the very goal you set out for yourself becomes a reality. In, in pharmacy, they struggle with testing drugs these days because sugar pills and the actual pharmacy, pharmacy pills both have great efficacy. What is it? Efficacy. Yeah. Efficacy. Yeah. They both work. And so whether you're taking a sugar pill or you're taking an actual uh, medicine, they both are highly effective because the patient believes they're going to get better. So then they start thinking and pretending and working 
and exercising and eating and talking differently, which is going to influence results. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm giving you a long-winded answer. Why'd you write the book? Because I was sick of the way society looked and I knew it could be even better. It's, I think it's better than it's ever been. But man, we, we can make this thing so good. There's so much wealth. There's so much success. There's so much knowledge. There's so much mind share. Walls are coming crashing down, believe it or not. And there's an opportunity to sh shoulder up with one another and make sure that we live into even better days collectively going forward than we have in the past. I, th I think it's it, 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 it's funny you're saying that because I, I remember um, I was talking to someone, uh, one of the senior executive at Fortune 100 company um, last week. And we we're talking about how three months back there was a talk about strategy, business, how they're going to grow and everything. And within a week, all strategy went out of the window, right? All you trust is this guy that you have never heard of called Mr. Yes. Dr. Fauci. There's a yes. president involved. There's all the all the characters in every business and individual's life have not something that we have seen before in, in our past life. And we we trust our like hard earned research strategy and to these people. We believe yes. that what they are saying. So I think you, you have a very strong point there that um, at the end of the day, human human humanity is is what what is our secret antidote to 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 get through that. And I have a business colleague, and I certainly won't quote him, but this is at the Super Bowl party. Uh, I had a call. I took it outside, and I asked if he was concerned about the about what was happening right now in China. And he said to me, "That's their problem. That's their problem." Well, he's not saying that right now. And I think for a long time, we've pretended like we can somehow structure up and build high enough. And I'm not trying to be political, just a fact. Mm. Build high enough walls, and then the problems will stay away from us. Mm. And life is not a vacuum. Economies no longer are a vacuum. Societies are no longer a vacuum. What happens in one place, it's like a butterfly effect, which has been proven to be a fact, actually. What happens in one place affects the entire chain of events downstream. It's one ecosystem. And so the, the sooner that we roll up our sleeves and start seeing it as such, not only the more effective we collectively can be, but the more successful we as individuals can be. Interesting. And and so, um, what are some of some of the some of the outliers uh, when it comes to the book in awe? Like, what are some of the characters that um, that you can talk about? Who do you think are the 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 role models of who get it? Like, what are if you can walk us through that? So I, you know, there's so many characters within this book. One of my favorite, though, because he's one of the oldest guys within the book. Because sometimes when people hear about it, man, I don't even like kids. I sort of, I sure don't want to be one. Uh, this is not about being a kid. It's about having joy and wonder for life again. So who doesn't want this? One of the guys that I think is most successful in having joy and wonder for life is a gentleman out of San Diego named Pat Hinman. Pat, when I met him, was 99 years old. And he had me speak at his corporate event. So this is a guy who is not, you know, in some retirement community or playing golf at 99. This is a dude who is working every single day at 99. I come up for his company retreat. He's got 26 of his executives in the room. Uh, I'm the keynote speaker for the day. We have a three-hour leadership session. At the end of it, they bring out a cake for Pat. And they sing to him for his 99th birthday. Think about this. Afterwards, he goes around the room. There's 27 people. He names them one by one. Wow. And he says that with the thing that he respects most about that person in front of him, he'd only met me three hours earlier. John O'Leary, I respect you for leaving your wife. I respect you for making that early morning flight. I respect you for your story and for sharing it so effectively with us today. So it's like, wow, he made all of us feel like the birthday party was for us. That's very unusual. Then he parties with us late into the evening. He's the first one to leave, though, because he is 99 years old, after all. He also has stage four cancer. He gets his overcoat on that night. I give him a hug, and I say, Pat, where are you going, buddy? He said, John, I need to get home. Otherwise, my wife will think I'm not running around on her again. It's a guy who has been married for 77 years, and his goal in life was to see her first to the finish line. And the, the, the button up to the story is that he passed away five weeks later. But he passed away a week and a half after his wife. It's just a beautiful story when you are committed, committed. It's not something you think, I'll test this for a little. No, you are committed to living your best life every single day. This man was committed to living a very strong life for almost a century. And he affected so many people, myself included, and now the readers of the book in awe. Wow, that's, that's fascinating. And thank you for sharing that. So now we are at the tail end of the conversation. I want to spend a few minutes on your, on your journey. So we ask all of our guests 
to share some of the things that has really helped them become what they have become today. Hmm. And they are the secret ingredients of, 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 of your being. What are, what are some of those secret ingredients that, that they can share with our listeners and viewers? Yeah, so the, the first thing I would let you know about secret recipes are there are none. The, uh, the world is incredibly flat, and so the secrets are in the open. So for those of you trying to grow, and I encourage, if you're listening to this podcast, that's you, your hand is up right now. Success leaves breadcrumbs. And so whether this has been the podcast that worked for you or you're like, you know what, I didn't like it, but the one before to the one after, perfect. Take notes on what they're about to share here because the same things that work for others will in fact work for you. That's a cool thing about life. It's success is something that is replicable. You can do it again and again and again. So for me, resiliency is one of the absolute keys to my success because I make mistakes all the time. And it would be so easy to just bury my head deep down in the sand and wait for nature to finish me off. But the resiliency reminds me that I can bounce forward, not just bounce back, but actually quite literally bounce forward. Uh, unconditional love. In my, in my spiritual journey, to feel as if I, I like belong to God and am, am somehow chosen. Like for me, that's really inspiring. But it also means that I need to love others. I, I get to love not only my wife and kids, but, but a gentleman interviewing me for the very first time. The lady at Starbucks who serves me coffee in the morning, who's like my friend. The people at the airport who I miss desperately. The, the guy who works the shoeshine booth named James. Uh, the, the TSA officers. The lady named Taisha who takes my money when I'm coming back out of the airport because she's at the toll. Like, these are my friends. I miss them. But the reason they're my friends is because I love them. I love them. And so the more we can show up with unconditional love, the more that it's going to come back into our life. And a short little example of that, I'm also really cool to the guys at the AV tables. These are the guys in the black pants and the black shirt that most guys who do what I do ignore because they're unimportant. All they do is plug in mics and do what they, they do their job. Man, I love those guys. And I don't love them for any reason other than I'm called to be unconditional love to those in front of me at all times. I have booked four different speeches because those guys have then gone on to another meeting, told the organizer and said, you got to bring John O'Leary into your organization. So in just showing up fully for the people in front of me, uh, it has come back into my life tenfold, but that's not why you do it. You, you do it because in doing so, you change the world in small ways. And when you do that enough, the world itself begins to change. Beautiful. Um, thank you for sharing that. So one more question that we ask all of our guests to share are some of their favorite reads, some of the books that have really um, <clears throat> inspired them in some, in some ways that they could share with our listeners and viewers. Like, would, would you have something to so share? Man, I'll give that? you a couple. Um, I love I love The Return of the Prodigal Son, for those of you who want to be a little bit more spiritual in your reading. It's a, by my favorite author, a guy named Henry Nowen. Just a, a, a beautiful, beautiful read about a guy trying to figure out what really matters in life. So that's a cool one. I, I love uh, Thinking Grow Rich. It's old and it's still good because there's nothing new under the sun, man. Like there's, We can all come up with new titles and new covers and all this other stuff, but I, I, I think it's been covered before. Now we just get to add and nuance and layer it and make it even better. But these old time inspirational, they would call them self-help, but I don't believe in self-help. I think it's mm. efficient and effectively grown forward. Those are, are some a couple of books that have inspired me. I'm also inspired by human stories. So uh, Alive by Nando Prado. This is a guy who with his rugby team out of Paraguay crashes in the Andes. And I forget the exact time, but I think it's 110 days. They lived above 14,000 feet. These are boys who grew up at the sea level. And now they're doing life for 110 days, turning to all kinds of horrible things to survive, but they survive. They survive. And for me, when I read it, because fiction doesn't really turn me on, man. I can, I can tell you about cats that talk and everything else, but I'm so much more inspired by people who pick themselves up and move forward, or even more impressed by people who pick up others and move them forward. Those are the stories that turn me on. So, uh, man, you, you give me a good story about human life and resiliency, and I will devour it, and I will be better because of it. Interesting. Uh, <clears throat> thank you for sharing that. Now, last but not the least. So if you want something that our guests, listeners and viewers to take away from this conversation, what would that be? Like, what would be a closing remark for our listeners and viewers? So I'll probably have to add a lot of commas to it because these questions are all new to me. But the first would be to be reminded of the dignity and the gift of your life. Start there. Comma. That in spite of what you've done, that has made you a, an incredible failure or a success, that your best days remain ahead of you. Period. 
not even period, period like in parentheses, another comma, that the success you clamor for will never be achieved as long as it is only about individual achievement. That it, you will realize as you climb to the top of the ladder that you had the ladder leaned against the wrong wall. And what you ultimately long for is not success, but significance. So rather than getting to the top of the ladder, then to realize that, and then to climb back down and have your tail between your legs and then move the ladder, this period of time provides a profound opportunity for you to reposition that ladder against the proper wall. The foundation remains firm. And together, let's, let's start climbing back up. We can, we can redefine together what corporate life looks like, what work 2.0 looks like, and what real success and significance look like going forward. Beautifully put. With that, um, John, thank you for being exceptionally generous with your time and, and walking with our, our listeners and viewers your journey and this amazing book. Um, to our listeners and viewers, I'll put the link for the books on the description. And and John, um, what's your podcast called? Uh, yeah, I'm glad you asked because we, we also have a, have a cool thing. I've been affected personally by suicide and and we've all gone through periods of, of darkness and isolation and wondered like, gosh, can we take the next step forward? So when COVID-19 was first on the horizon, we created a 21 day in awe challenge. Hmm. We wanted to provide a little bit of hope and inspiration and clear next step. That's really important, clear next steps forward. So if you would like to receive 21 days of inspiration, no charge to it, you can visit me at readinawe.com. So it's readinawe.com. And that's a really cool way to stay in touch. It's my email, so you can hit reply. Somewhere on that page, you'll see a link to the book and the books. And somewhere on the bottom of that page, you can see my podcast, which is called Live Inspired and social media feeds and everything else. But what I'm really trying to sell you here is, is the next step in your journey. So go to, go to readinnaw.com, take the 21-day challenge, and I promise you every single day will uh, just get a little bit bigger and better as you go forward. And, and, and I think, John, uh, couldn't appreciate um your effort and and your commitment in in helping a lot of people's lives and and thank you so much on that i do appreciate that and i think i'm always mesmerized with anyone uh who is putting um the humanity's interest in front of theirs and and just helping all of us get mm -hmm. through this hard time so i think thank you so much on on, on everything that you're doing to bring us together thank you on that so when i think back in my life you use the word humanity and when i think of humanity i think of all of us playing together from all parts of the world. So my medical team, my custodian was African-American. Several of my nurses were married, several of them were single, several of them were direct from the Philippines. My plastics guy who gave me back my fingers was born in Italy, but raised in Argentina. My burn doc was out of Lebanon. My physical therapist was out of Syria. And this is just the ones I can come up with on top of my, 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 my mind. And I'm a Midwest guy. So like, this is in my backyard. The world needs and gets to play together. We already do, but I, I think the more we act as our brothers and sisters keeper and we, we put humanity ahead of our own agenda, the more successful not only we, with a capital W gets, but we individually become as well. Thank you so much. Honor, Thank you, brother. John. Yes. Uh, I thought I was sick of home, but actually I was homesick Never really knew that I would have to grow up so quick I'm so uncomfortable, don't know anybody here Just a couple dudes that I met once, that's it And I go into the booth feeling nervous Got butterflies in my stomach like I'm so worthless Is the mic gone? I don't know how to work this Inside I'm breaking down, I hope I'm not up on this